This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnKelly.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. And the talk is about the possibility in Major League Baseball of having a universal DH from what will be from now and forever. And the discussion has been for many years about the pro pitchers hitting, you know, old National League ball compared to American League ball. And there used to be a time where the leagues were different. And I think as we embrace for many changes that we see in this country and this world, I think it's probably time for even the die hardest of National League baseball supporters. In other words, those that prefer a pitcher to go out there and hit to be in favor of a universal DH. And hope is through Major League Baseball, this is something that's going to happen for the 2021 season. What you hope is that baseball rules or makes this decision relatively quick because it's going to impact how teams, especially National League teams, address their offseason needs. You think of a team like the New York Mets that have a couple of DHs on their roster already. They would be more inclined to not want to trade one of those players if they knew that they were going to use a designated hitter all season. And the same could apply to any National League team. It's something that if Major League Baseball wants to either rule on or go in one direction or the other, it doesn't really matter. The bottom line is that they should decide right now as the baseball season is, season is getting st- off season is getting started. And you know about the differences that are going to be out there when it comes to teams, you know, claiming poverty. They lost money, 40, 60, $100 million over the last season when there's no fans in the stands. And certainly what the uncertainty about the upcoming baseball season, having fans in the stands or at least in some limited shapes or fashions, you understand the owners and the general managers and the team president's concern when it comes to how busy of an offseason each one of these Major League Baseball teams are going to have. So, you know, the designated hitter, is it good for the players? Absolutely. It employs more players. And remember in 1973, those of us, those of whom, myself not included, obviously, I was born in 1979, but those that saw the 1973 season, saw the resurrection of several players' careers and great players like Orlando Cepeda and Frank Robinson were able to play longer because they had the ability to DH as opposed to playing out in the field where they physically were unable to do that. Players that had played before were forced into earlier retirements or roles where they couldn't go out there and, and play the field. You know, you think of Rusty Staub and his last three seasons with the New York Mets. Rusty couldn't play the field anymore. It might have been more beneficial for Rusty to be a designated hitter for an American League club had the Mets in 1983, 84, 85 had the designated hitter. You know, Rusty may go out there and be able to maybe not play every day, but maybe start 100 games, 120 games. 
maybe get closer to 3,000 hits. And maybe we're talking about Rusty Staub being in baseball's Hall of Fame. So I think the designated hitter universally amongst the obvious reasons, the obvious reason being pitchers are not instructed to hit. It's not that they can hit. It's something that they are basically having the bats taken away from them in their youth. They're, you know, 17, 18 year olds that are being defined as hard throwers and have the ability to pitch on the collegiate and professional levels are basically having the bats taken out of their hands. Now, you know, for years upon years, there was no designated hitter up until 1973. Pitchers were expected to go out there and hit. They were treated just like any other offensive player on the 24 man roster at the time. And the fact that the designated hitter has come in and obviously the specialization in baseball, you have players that are just identified by the positions that they're going to play. And a pitcher is not instructed on how to hit anymore. They're encouraged not to hit anymore. They're not taking batting practice. Part of it's because teams want to protect their arms. You know, they don't want to see the pitchers on the bases. They don't want to see the pitchers up there swinging a bat. Baseball has changed this. And I think it is time. Even as much of a diehard National League baseball supporter as I am, it's time for the designated hitter to exist universally in Major League Baseball, and especially in a season in 2020, which baseball has experimented with it already. You know, the revenues are down, not because of the universal designated hitter. It was because there was no fans in the stands. But offense was at least on the same playing field. And I think the other aspect that we have to get into here is the teams that play in the National League, interleague play. You got NL teams playing AL teams every single day of the baseball season because there's 30 teams. There's guaranteed to have to be one interleague game every single day of the baseball season or every single day where all 30 teams are playing. One American League team has to be playing a National League team. So if you have a different set of rules – for the American League team, that they could institute a DH, they could have a designated hitter on their roster ready to play in what in a full season would be 162, and the National League not having that same rules is not fair. Even if you take the designated hitter out for the American League, there's likely a better hitter on the American League team's bench that could come up at a big spot than that National League team that is used to having their pitcher hitting. So I've been a little torn on it, a little ambivalent on this point for a while, because I do believe in National League Baseball, and I do believe that the change in a game of baseball is requiring pitchers to not even try to hit. And you've seen the production of pitchers as they hit on the field, and it's embarrassing. It really is. Outside of the guys like the Madison Bumgarners or the Zach Greinke's or the Noah Syndergaard's, there are not any – pitchers that are going out there that are even trying and they're instructed not to. And it's something that I I think is causing the game to change in the way that it is. You know, how how analytics are impacting how much you should probably invest in a starting pitcher. This is one change in a game that I think baseball should act on. And the sooner they do it, the better. The sooner they do it this off season, every one of those 15 national league teams would put the best roster together, understanding that they're going to have a designated hitter as opposed to years before when they have it. Now, the other part of it is this 
designated hitter universally would be good for the players. That guarantees at least 15 players are going to get the opportunity to play every day without playing the field. Now, some teams may rotate it out, but the bottom line is there's going to be another good player that's going to get a chance to play every day that wouldn't anyway. So you understand why it makes sense for the players. Now, the owners say, hey, we want some sort of concession. Maybe this expanded playoff format. Now, that's going to bring more ratings, especially when you're coming into a season where you're not certain whether there's going to be fans in the stands. And I think that's a very big concern, not just for the owners, but for the players and the fans. You know, how about the John Pielis of the world that want to go out there and see 20, 30 baseball games in a season in person? You know, you're not going to be able to do that if the pandemic continues and baseball, or at least regionally, you know, whether it's the decision of the governors of the states and stuff like that. If there's no fans in the stands, it creates a lesser product. It makes baseball and its season a little more disappointing because baseball is about the fans. And it kind of gets me into this panegyric or monologue that I want to get into talking about the value of fans when it comes to the world of sports. Because we can talk about fans that have you know drastic opinions. Some fans will say something that might come out a little bit silly. Fans may say something that you'd be like, oh, man, how could that person even say that? And then another fan may go out there and, and sound like such a homer that unless you root for the same team, you, you don't want to be around that person because that person is so biased in their own opinion. But the bottom line is sports, they would be nothing without the fans. And if you really want to understand it a little bit more, try looking at one of the NBA playoff games, the NBA finals, um, football games on an average Sunday where there's still most stadiums are playing games without fans. Any Major League Baseball game during the regular season. You see action going on. You see players playing a sport, giving everything that they got. But it just looks like it's it's kind of like one of those scenarios where you're talking about the tree falling in a forest with nobody there to see it. And maybe that didn't happen. Baseball, football, basketball, hockey, they're at their best when they have fans in the event or at the event. You can play a game on TV, you can stream it through any one of your devices, on the internet, but it's not the same. And sports need fans. Sports talk is because of sports fans. Without sports fans, there's no need for sports talk. So I hope that we, first of all, we get to a part or a point where everybody is healthy the coronavirus hopefully will will find some sort of vaccine or cure and we could get back to having sports like we've enjoyed them over the history of these respective leagues you know i can't imagine going through another year where we're talking about baseball football basketball hockey games playing in arenas and fields and courts with no fans because fans impact the game we talk about teams who battle all season long to have the best records and to get certain seeds in a postseason for what? Home field, home court, or home ice advantage. And it's not so much of a home field, home court, or home ice advantage without the fans. And you know, I just hope that we could all see that 
we could all root for it and pray for it. And hopefully when we get into the year of 2021, we could talk about getting our season ticket plans or what games that we want to go see in person together. So I was thinking about the Houston Astros and obviously the heat that they were set to take this year, the cheating scandal of 2017, Major League Baseball finding out or believing they had sufficient enough information to determine that the Astros were stealing signs. They were uh, manipulating the replay televisions that were set and the monitors that were set in their clubhouse and relaying the information to their players. Now, I'm not going to defend cheating, but baseball particularly is a sport that has been set around cheating for so long. And you have a contingent of baseball fans that want to, I don't know, was it christianize the game or turn the game into something that it really isn't. The major point that I want to make about this is the fact that since the invent of competition, not just baseball, which we know dates back to the late 1860s, a major league baseball started in 1871 with the National Association. We know that since the advent of competition, let alone baseball, football, basketball, hockey, individual players and teams have looked for every distinct advantage they could have to defeat their opponent, to come out ahead of their opponent. Players' jobs are on the line based off of competition, whether they could outperform their opponent or they could outperform those that are competing for the same job. It's no different in the real world. If there's any advantage, if you, if you could... Uh, uh, present yourself for any business or occupation that you have as being able to do a job superior to somebody that may be in competition with you, that may enhance your position within that company or enhance your salary that you're willing to earn. So when it comes to baseball and cheating, I don't think it's as cut and dry as the average naysayer, that person that says, hey, I'm about baseball being pure. I'm about the sanctity of baseball. I can't imagine a game while any, why anybody would ever do anything that is devious. There's no such thing as gamesmanship in that person's mind. They want everything to be played on the up and up. Everyone to be at the same exact level and let the best player and or the best team win. That sounds good on paper, but if you're looking at a game in baseball, which was started in the late 1800s by a bunch of players and coaches that didn't want to build America. The late 19th century was all about building USA. Your average man, whatever you were, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, heterosexual, homosexual, Christian, Jewish, you were expected to go out there and build America. That was the time where America was growing and it was expected that the people, the males in that country were going to go out there and help build America. Then there were, there were the ones that didn't want to build America. 
There were the deviants. There were the ones that would prefer to drink moonshine as they're sitting on a bench playing this yard game in, in, a, in some sort of field. And as people started to unify amongst it and a league ended up getting started, you would find that the deviants, the ones that did not want to build America, were the ones that were out there playing professional baseball, not being compensated that much, not being compensated as much as those that were out there trying to build a country. But they were out there playing a game. So when you, the game starts with people that don't necessarily have the best of mindsets or the best of intentions, they're going to want to win more than the next guy. They're going to want to take every single advantage that they can to put themselves in the most advantageous position and the ability to go out there and win and defeat their opponent and retain their job where they can go out there and sit on a bench and drink moonshine. So we talk about cheating as it ex exists in a game 150 years later in the year of 2020, talking about 2017 with the Astros, whether you want to talk about the steroids era, which once again is players that are competing with each other, not just to allow their team to win, but for their own personal gain, for their own personal income. And many times you could, we could discuss how different players would have different opportunities had they not chosen to use performance-enhancing drugs. And is the fear of the court of public opinion going to get in somebody's way of earning millions and millions of dollars? Because the financial aspect of the use of performance-enhancing drugs in baseball has not been discussed that much. You have an opportunity to have enough money, not just for yourself, but for your kids to make sure your kids are taken care of through the entire generation as they grow older and you pass on and it's their time to rule the world. And how about their kids? How about the baseball players, grandkids to make sure that they have all the opportunities that maybe that player would not have had? had they not decided to use performance-enhancing drugs. There's many different elements to this, but I'm going to stay talking about the competition and the fact that baseball, followed by football and basketball and hockey, but you know, there's certainly less examples of devious activity that's been done in other sports, but any advantage that a player could get over another, it would be silly to not expect them to do that. And history has shown baseball for 150 years has had players that have always tried to look for a distinctive advantage, whether it's a certain grip on a bat, whether it's using cork in a bat, whether it's applying some sort of foreign substance to a baseball, which for a while in a game was legal. It wasn't until Ray Chapman was killed in 1920 by a fastball thrown by Carl Mays of the New York Yankees that baseball decided that the spitball was going to be outlawed. And even when they did that, they grandfathered 13 pitchers and allowed them to use the pitch as long as they were continuing to pitch in Major League Baseball. So it didn't seem like they were that much against it. They, yes, they wanted to call out the safety element. They didn't want any more fatalities when it came to Major League Baseball. 
But the fact that the use of foreign substance on a baseball was used for a tactical advantage lasted a very long time and was still used through the days of Gaylord Perry. And one of the things Gaylord Perry said, and I, I find this hilarious, is that Gaylord would, he would make like he was doctor in a baseball even when he wasn't. So the hitter, from a standpoint of coming up there saying, oh man, he's going to use a, a, is this going to be a scuffed ball? Is it going to be the, uh, you know, Lubiderm ball? Is this going to be the, the Vagisil ball? Is this going to be the KY jelly ball? And maybe it's not. Maybe it's a straight fastball. Or maybe it's just a natural curveball or a sinker or a slider. Now, Gaylord Perry was able to use that to his advantage. Yes, he probably doctored some baseballs. He was caught doctoring baseballs on more than one occasion. But do you look back at Gaylord Perry and say that his Hall of Fame career, which included over 300 wins and well over 3,000 strikeouts, did should it be determined that what he accomplished didn't count. He's in baseball's Hall of Fame. And you think of the likes of Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose, two of the best hitters in the history of baseball, two of the best hitters that Major League Baseball has ever seen. Pete has more hits than anybody in Major League Baseball history. Shoeless Joe Jackson has the third highest batting average in the history of Major League Baseball. And they're both not in the Hall of Fame because they're on the ineligible list. Now, you wonder if Pete's going to be reinstated maybe after he passes. Maybe there's a fear that exists in baseball that Pete would somehow associate himself with the team. And, you know, the ironic thing about this, and I think the hypocritical thing about this, is the promotion of FanDuel and DraftKings and online betting. When we're talking about baseball, Yet you have somebody like A.P. Rose and somebody like a shoeless Joe Jackson, which, by the way, was given a lifetime ban. His life is over. So you figure till, till death do us part, if you want to say that for a marriage, a lifetime ban in baseball should be lifted after that person leaves this earth. The fact that shoeless Joe Jackson is not eligible as an active Major League Baseball player. He should be reinstated, number one. And then he should be eligible for the Hall of Fame and at least have the Veterans Association or the, the Veterans Committee, excuse me, that exists in Major League Baseball be able to make a decision on it. And maybe his name comes on a ballot and maybe he's voted in and maybe he's not. But at least he has a chance. And the same thing with Pete Rose. But the last thing I want to bring up about cheating it, there's so many different things you can bring up when you talk about cheating. And a cheat is somebody doing something deceptive to try to alter the natural results of a game. You could say steroids is cheating. You could say, you know, you manipulating the replay monitor in the clubhouse or in the side of the dugout so you could steal signs is cheating. But what about a catcher that moves a glove to deceive the umpire and make the umpire think a ball is a strike? There's many in the baseball community that actually think that's a good thing. There's many in the baseball community that actually think that that is a skill that a catcher can bring to the table to fool an umpire, an umpire that's there to do one thing, to call a strike a strike and a ball a ball, 
to deceive that umpire into believing that a ball is a strike. Now, I hope I explained that correctly enough, because if you use that terminology, you'd understand that I'm talking about something that's very deceptive. Is it cheating? Most baseball fans don't consider that cheating. But if you're going to consider, you know, stealing signs cheating, what about that the, the base runner that's sliding into second base or third base and the base, the fielder catches the ball and uses their glove to try to push that runner's hand or foot off the base? And if the person's hand or foot comes off the base, whether it's naturally or whether it's forced by an infielder, that base runner is usually ruled out. Is that fair? Is that deceptive? Is that cheating? I think it should all be spoken about. If we're going to talk about cheating, how it's impacting the game of baseball, we do need to talk about all forms of cheating. Certain players are allowed to play with ADHD medication. In other words, equivalent of amphetamines. Amphetamines are taken away from baseball. Baseball players are not allowed to use amphetamines now. Now, you can talk about the difference between amphetamines and steroids, and they really, they really are apples and oranges. I'm not going to say that they're anything similar. But does a player that is using greenies have a distinctive advantage on that field? The answer is yes. They're going to be more alert. They're going to be a little more fired up. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to suffer less fatigue than the other players that aren't using greenies over the course of a 162-game baseball season. Now, steroids can potentially enhance eyesight. Steroids can kind of make you feel like you're He-Man, that you can run through a wall, can kind of make a, a baseball look like a beach ball and show the ability, you know, you know, unbelievable ability to see a pitch that's just that far off the plate where you may swing at it. I was at an event this past weekend And I got to talk to former Major League pitcher Danny Jackson. And he mentioned to me something that I never thought about before. And you know my stance when it comes to quote-unquote cheating. I don't believe in it. I I don't think it's a good thing. But I'm understanding that it happens over the course of baseball history. And has always existed since the game started. I don't think we're going to ban or be able to ban all forms of of cheating. Once we get rid of the ones that we want to identify, whether it's steroids, whether it's the manipulation of a replay monitor, we're not going to be able to get all cheating out of baseball because the players, coaches, those that are in the game, even those that are studying computers and numbers are going to try to find some way to give their players, their team a distinct advantage. And they're not going to stop at the line of what is within the rules of baseball and what is not within the rules of baseball. But back to Danny Jackson. So he was a pitcher that pitched in the steroids era against many players that were using steroids. And there is, while I was talking before about the monetary aspect of those that are choosing to use steroids, perhaps for financial gain, perhaps for the ability to take care of the rest of their life, their kids, their kids' kids, and maybe their kids' kids' kids, there's the impact that it has on those that are not using. Now, I don't believe we're ever going to be able to go back and 
100% figure out which players we're using and we're not using. But to think about those that made the decision or a conscious decision not to use. Maybe they were worried about injecting themselves. Maybe they were worried about some side effects or health implications later on. Maybe they just wanted to play the baseball game as pure as they felt that it could be. Those players were impacted. Paul Aduka spoke um, a couple years ago, admitted that he used performance-enhancing drugs and started using when he was playing in AAA with the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. And he said that him and three other players basically made that decision. Said, hey, we're not going to get any further than AAA unless we start doing what these other players are doing. And because of that, they got in the major leagues. They leapfrogged over players that were using, that weren't using performance enhancing drugs and had themselves decent major league baseball careers. But we seldom talk about the players that made the decision not to. Like I said, the decision could have been conscious. It could have been for health reasons, maybe a fear of getting sick, maybe a fear of not living a long life. Maybe a fear of having their testicles shrivel up to, to, you know, peanuts. It's all things that could go through somebody's mind and all could be within a conscious decision to not use performance enhancing drugs. But whatever led to it, the results were that player was at a disadvantage in the steroids era. And Danny Jackson makes a reference to me about a pitch that he would throw. Um, kind of a, a, a sinker or a changeup towards the outside part of the plate against a left-hand batter. And that there were so few possibilities that could come out of that pitch. Either the batter may not swing at it, it'll be a ball. But if the batter swings at it, they're going to either roll it over and hit a ground ball somewhere on the infield or they, they may pull it and hit a, a weak pop-up somewhere that probably won't get further than the infield. Now, when Danny Jackson's throwing that pitch and that pitch is being driven the opposite way over the head of the left fielder, you can tell the hitter has a distinct advantage. Maybe the eyesight, maybe they're able to see the ball, maybe they're able to uh, visualize the point of contact between the bat and the ball better than they would have if they were not using steroids. And what's the result of that? More runs against the Danny Jacksons of the world. A higher ERA. He comes out of a game. He has a bad season. He doesn't get the contract for the next season that he was going to get. A couple of years later, he's out of baseball. And this just isn't, this just isn't about one player or one pitcher. It's about the distinct disadvantage that the players that did not use performance-enhancing drugs had. And I don't think there's many people that are speaking up on this. You know my opinion. I believe that baseball, just like any other sport, is entertainment. The best of the best used whatever they could to be the best of the best. Baseball did such a bad job presiding over the steroids era that they deserve some of the consequences of what's happening. Now, the players are the ones that are suffering. They're not being let into baseball's Hall of Fame. They're being considered cheaters for the rest of their lives. Sammy Sosa has no association with the Chicago Cubs in spite of all the revenue that he made 
for the Chicago Cubs, being the only player in baseball history to hit 60 home runs in three different seasons. He should be their hero. He should be on their Mount Rushmore of best players or best offensive position players that the Chicago Cubs have ever had. And it's unfortunate what happened to those players. Now, listen, they made a conscious decision to do it. But the way this was enabled and the way that there was no testing in place for something that, by the way, was illegal. There's enough egg in this thing to be on everybody's face. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We're talking about the different levels of cheating in baseball. When a catcher frames a pitch, it, it is deceiving the umpire into thinking a ball is a strike. We don't consider that cheating, and I don't know why. Manipulating a replay monitor to know what pitch is coming, well, that's cheating. Using performance-enhancing drugs, that's cheating. But getting a, a medication to, you know, for ADHD that allows you to take greenies when greenies have been taken out of baseball for the last a decade and a half, that's giving a player a distinct advantage over the others that are not allowed to do it. We spoke about the fact that we can't have sports without fans. We've tried it over the past year. The year of 2020 seems like the the gift that keeps on giving was not good for the sports fan, was not good for the sports that we know and love. We hope the next year, as we try to get through this pandemic, hopefully we get a vaccine, a cure for the coronavirus. Sports are going to be a lot better with fans. Talk about home field, home ice, home court advantage, all different things that we, we see teams play for all season, 162 games in baseball, 80 games in hockey, 82 games in the National Basketball Association, 16 games in the NFL, not just to make the playoffs, but for seeding in the playoffs for what? To have home field, home court, home ice advantage. So I put out a quote tweet the other day about – a baseball player you could identify that you wish played 20 full seasons. And the more of these that I put out there that get a good response, the more of them I'm going to talk about on my show. I put three different players out there. Uh, My first one was Tony Canigliaro, who came up as such a dominant, dominant offensive player. I think he could have been a Hall of Famer if he wasn't hitting the eye of the pitch thrown by Jack Hamilton in, uh, what was it, 1967? year the Red Sox made it to the World Series. You know he was never the same after that. I think of the tragic death of Jose Fernandez and what he was on his way to being one of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. He'd be making $200 million over the course of his next contract, pitching maybe for the Marlins or maybe for another team. But he'd be one of the best in the game in a game that doesn't have as many great starting pitchers in it, I you, know, you absolutely have to miss Jose Fernandez. I thought of Mark Witten and the amount of raw power that he had when he started his Major League Baseball career. He, he got a little bit of a chance to play, but any time that he did, he never kind of took his game to the next level. We know he had four home runs in a game. 
We know he's, he's capable of going off at any given time. But I'm going to spend the last part of the show today going over some of the answers of the question. If you could pick one player that you wish played 20 full seasons in Major League Baseball, who would it be? Some of the answers, Dick Allen, Larry Hissel, Pumpsy Green, Ben Sheets, George Brett, Brandon Webb, Herb Score, Roy Campanella, Roger Maris, Fred Lynn, Rich Garces, Johnny Bench, Johnny Ray, Sid Finch, which we know Sid Finch was a fictitious player. Cecil Fielder, I came up with Canigliaro and Mark Whitten. Amongst players that were cited by two or more individuals, you got Mark Fidrich, Ken Hubbs, Satchel Page, Doc Gooden, Ken Griffey Jr., Jackie Robinson, Eric Davis, Ted Williams, Don Mattingly, J.R. Richard, Kirby Puckett, and Prince Fielder were cited twice. David Wright, Jose Fernandez were cited three times. And the players that more than anybody else came up with, five each, were Sandy Koufax and Bo Jackson. And if you think of Sandy Koufax and the amount of exertion he put into that great left arm that he was blessed with from God, you know, you wish that maybe Tommy John surgery was available. Maybe he could take a year or two off and come back and give another, you know, eight to ten. He obviously would have won 300 games. He may have been considered, hands down, the greatest pitcher that the game has ever seen. You know, it's hard to put a top five together and not put Sandy Koufax amongst the best starting pitchers the game has ever seen. And then there's Bo Jackson, which we know about that terrible hip injury that he suffered playing pro football for the Los Angeles Raiders that impaired his career, ended his football career made it very difficult for him to do the things that he was blessed with that talent to do things in baseball that we haven't seen before. And I think of Bo Jackson and like, man, what if he did get to play 20 full seasons in baseball? I think he would have hit 500 home runs. I think he could have gotten 3000 hits. He certainly would have been a hall of fame type of player. Once again, this is a passball show brought to you by JohnPeely.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.